Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone this morning. Welcome to our Sunday worship gathering. So good to see everybody. You know what I love so much is I, I do love our times. I was telling Kevin about this minute. I love our coffee break time, as we've come to call it, in the middle where we get to talk and visit and hang out. Um, again, not the message for today, but remember the, one of the primary reasons we gather as believers is to build relationship with each other. Right. That is uh, there's I guess if you would say in a list. And if you all know me, I'm not a big list guy uh, because I don't think God made a creation that's based on lists. <laughs> he made a creation that's based on things that are central. Right. Again, I remember reading a post by my least favorite pastor. Um, <laughs> just being honest uh, that he wrote a post and it said, uh, Who is it? uh it's, uh, Stephen Furtick, to be honest. I, I just, yeah, I just don't like yeah, brother Furtick. I'm, he's a, I'm sure he's a great man. It's nothing. It's totally my flesh. I'm not, I got no complaints against him, but I just, uh, uh, he, ru- no, he doesn't rub my cat. His face rubs my cat backwards. And I just know that that's, that's just a horrible thing to say. Uh, but, um, but it's just true. I, I tell people, I, I look at him and I see him and I reach for my wife and my wallet both at the same time, right? Because it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm kind of like going, I don't know. And I'll edit all of this out of the message. Absolutely, I will. Because I don't know. It's, uh, well, people ask, it's, you know, hey, I realize, you know, not, well, here's a great lesson from that. Not, not everybody is going to be your cup of tea. And that is totally okay. Uh, re- respect respect people enough to listen anyway. I remember Brother Hagen talked about there was a man who came into his town when he was a pastor years ago and, and they were they would rub each other's cats backwards, but he knew his people were going to go to the meeting, so he went and he was open. He says, well, this is a man of God like I'm a man of God, and he listened and he says, you know what? That man answered a question I had uh, for 20 years from the Bible. He says, I'm so glad I didn't shut him out. Right. So the people may not be your cup of tea. Hey, I realize I may not be your cup of tea. Right. And I've had that over the years that God sends people to the churches. We've had the privilege of pastoring and leading and they go, you know what, Brad, I just don't like you. And I said, well, that's OK. That's all right. I said, if God brought you here, uh, you got something to learn and you got something to give. Right. And, and we look at both of them. Uh, but what Brother Furtick said is, he said years ago, he said it was in 2012. He said, uh, what was it? So many reasons to stop putting Jesus first in 2012. And that's when I went, ah, what is this Goomba saying now? Right. What is this guy? And I had to go and I read the article and I said, well, dang it. He's right. (laughs) Right. And he says, and the reason why I said that is, is, is if Jesus isn't central, then he has no shot at being first. The goal isn't to put Jesus, because you probably all heard a preacher say that, you know, it's God first and then your family and then your work or your ministry. And the problem with that is, is we turn God into a to-do list and he becomes a checkbox for the day and then we move on. But God never wanted to be first. He wanted to be central. He wanted to be in the middle of everything. And if we'll let him be central, then he has a shot at being first but only when he becomes central, right? And the same thing is true as you work out from that, things like I said earlier to start this thing, it was not to pick on Brother Stephen Furtick, but it was to talk about um, how we're here to worship God, he's the center, and then to build relationship with each other. 
And those are the two central realities of why you gather as believers. I don't know if I've ever, anybody's ever told you that before. You, again, I appreciate that y'all all come and you listen to what we teach and the things that I endeavor to bring to you by the Spirit of God. Uh, but uh, you came here to know each other. Right? I, listening to me is just a bonus, right? I mean, that's just... <laughs> No, it's just icing. I'm, I'm just, it's just, but you really came here to, to be seen and to see other people, right? Y'all look at it. Don't look at me kind of funny. You understand that, right? But it's time we stop going to church like we go to the gym. Those of you who, who go to the gym, right? You know, there's people, if you're a gym, now my wife's a gym goer. Uh, I'm not a gym goer. But uh, people that go to the gym, right? Have you ever, if you've been to the gym, you know, and you see Bob on the treadmill like normal, and you go, hey, Bob, and Bob goes, hey, Brad, and then that's the last time I see Bob until tomorrow morning, <laughs> right, if Bob shows up, right? And for many years, we've gone to church like we go to the gym, where it's something we go to, but we don't know each other, right? And that's not why we go to church, Right? We go so we can be known and we can know, right? We can be seen and we can see into each other's lives. And when we do that, the writer of Hebrews says, when you come and gather together and you consider one another and you see one another, then you're giving the Holy Spirit a chance to stir up love and good works, right? Because that's what he said. He says, when we consider each other, when we see each other, then the Holy Spirit has something to work with. He has something to, to stir our hearts with and to churn inside of us. And from that place, we'll do the same miracles he did. Because that's how Jesus walked his life, right? Jesus lived his life. And it says, and when he saw the multitudes, his heart was moved with compassion. And that compassion moved him to action. So in one place he prayed for them, in one place he healed them, in two places he fed them. He did those things, but he first saw them, then he was moved by the Spirit, then he put action to the Spirit, and miracles happened. Does that make sense? It's one of my beliefs, a Brad belief, right? The reason why we see less miracles today is we have stopped seeing people. Right? We've become a little bit myopic or a little bit insular. And I'm just looking at me, looking at my life and my world and what's going on with me and my universe and my situation and my problem and my this and my, 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 me, me, me. We sound like, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. Right? Yeah, that's right, baby. The unholy trinity, right? Me, myself, and I. Right? And we look at that kind of stuff. But it, when we learn and let the Spirit help us to do what Jesus said in John chapter 4, to lift up my eyes and to see the multitude and to see it as ready to be harvested. Right? It's not just look to see if it is harvested. Jesus actually said in John chapter 4, he said, lift up your eyes, see the multitude, and you must see it as ready. You look at me. Oh, let's go there. John chapter 4. Man, it's all right this morning. John chapter 4, I believe that's where we're, we're looking at.
Yeah, there it is in John chapter 4, around verse 34. Jesus said to the disciples, this is after the woman uh, at the well, uh, when uh, she leaves to go into the city and, and tell the people. Jesus said to the disciples, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. Do you know we, we don't have to pray for the harvest to get ready? I don't know if you ever heard of that. I know we talk a lot about revival and prayer, especially in the days that we've lived in the last year and a half. But you don't have to pray for the harvest to be ready. Jesus said the harvest is ready. Hello? Yeah. Amen. Jesus told the disciples he's never had a harvest problem. <laughs> what has been Jesus' biggest problem? A laborer problem, right? And just like in our current job culture today, we don't have a shortage of work problem. We actually have a shortage of worker problem, right? Same thing. Kingdom of God has been plagued by that since Jesus was here. Is I don't need to pray for the harvest. The harvest is doing just fine. <laughs> I need people who will lift up their eyes, who will see their world, who will engage their world and see it as it's ready. Guys, do you realize that your world is ready for you? Hold on, let's say that one more time. Did you know that your world is ready for you? Let's say one more time. Your world is ready for you. Hallelujah. Because the harvest, Jesus said the harvest is ready. Right. What the Lord has for you to do, it's ready. Right. It, it, it's ready to go. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So just say this. Say, cool, that I'm ready. Let me say one to say, say, cool, I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. Right. Because if your harvest is ready, then that means you're ready. That means you're sufficient. That means you're enough. That means you're able to put in the sickle. Because that's what he continues to say here, right? He says, look at the fields for they are already white unto harvest. Verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying it is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored for. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Guys, listen, it's ready for us. Your world is ready for you, and you're ready for your world, yeah. right? I think it's one of the biggest deceptions of the devil today is he tries to convince us, oh, you're not ready yet, yeah. right? You don't have enough X, <laughs> fill in the blank. You don't have enough education. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough opportunity. You don't have enough experience. You don't have enough fill in the blank. Right? And that's untrue. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're alive and well and you show up, you're ready. Amen. Amen. Going back to last Sunday, uh -huh. you don't have anything to say that anybody wants to hear. <laughs> you don't have anything to say? What, what, now, refresh my memory again what Dusty said last Sunday. Everybody has something to say. Everybody has something. That's absolutely. Yeah. You have. The devil will 
Oh, that's exactly right. That's right. Yeah, we got to get over ourselves and realize no. Well, and that's true. And thank you, Mary, for the reminder that the world is ready for your voice. And the world must hear your voice. Right? And there are, there are people who will only hear of God from you. And you may never know it, that it was you that spoke the words or the priest. But they know. Yeah, and that's true. And I've had that happen. That's true. And I've, Mr. And I've had that happen, Miss Teresa. And I would only want to add to that is, is that, but there's a lot of people that they're, they're just waiting for you to tell them. That's right. Absolutely. Right. They're, they're waiting for, for you to open up your mouth. Yeah. Right. Again, so, so that'll segue well into, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I, and I want to endeavor to, to finish up what we've been talking about, about becoming giant hunters. And it ties into what uh, Mary and both Teresa just said, because we're going to look at something that David did. And, and how do you become a giant hunter is uh, you have to be willing to speak, right? You have to be willing to speak. Uh, we, we understand biblically that God created the world with his words. Does everybody know that? Has everybody ever heard that before? The Genesis story. In the beginning, God said, God said, God said, he said, let there be light. Let this happen. Let this happen. Let this happen. And he said, and just a parenthesis, not to get off track, but you understand that you and I are the only things that God actually made with his hands. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. Yeah. Mankind is the only part of creation that God touched. The rest of creation, God spoke and it happened. Right. And that, that's an interesting thing. That, talk about humans, right? Then we, people, people, it requires touch. Right. It requires breath. But we, but we understand that God formed the world with his words. The writer of Hebrews says that in the 11th chapter. He says, by faith we understand that the world was framed with the word of God. It was literally constructed with God's word. When God spoke, the creation was made with words. And then when he made us, he gave us that same ability. Now, we understand that you're the only created being that God made that also uses words. Mm -hmm. Now, we know there are other creations that communicate, you know, like dolphins and whales. Everybody knows sonar and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, I mean, even now they're discovering that the trees talk to each other through uh, mycorrhizal fungi or some kind of big word that I don't know how to say. But this, there's fungus that connects trees together. And when one tree gets attacked, say, for example, by a pine beetle, it'll send out a chemical response through that fungi that connects the grove, and they can measure the other trees amping up their immune systems and their defenses, right? So we know that other parts of creation communicate. So we're not the only creation that communicates, but we are the only creation that uses words, that speaks, it's one of the identifiers that lets you and I know we were made in the image of God. Because like God, you have the ability to speak, and like God, what you speak creates your world. Now, I know that's also the part that we don't like to necessarily talk about. 
right? Because if y'all are like me, how do you know, I've, I've said some stuff that has created my world that it's not overly godly, right? <laughs> there, there, there's, there's parts of my world looking and go, yeah, I made that with my mouth and I, I should have just shut up, right? I mean, I should have just, I like what one of my real estate lady who taught me how to do real estate years ago said she called it WAIT, W-A-I-T, and it's an acronym that stands for Why Am I Talking, <laughs> right? She says, you know, when you go to close a deal on a house, you need to wait. There needs to come a point where you shut up and you don't say anything else and let them buy the house, right? And, you, so you, and I thought, you know, that's, that'll preach right there. There needs to come to why am I talking? Why is my mouth moving? If my mouth is not creating something positive, why am I talking? I need to just shut up until I'm ready to create. Because again, it's true. Everything you say is creating your world. Uh, okay, it's, it's really good. It's indicting and it's good all at the same time. Right? No, I, mean, I like something Tony and I talked about before. If I run around and say, man, I'm, I'm tired, I'm tired, Whew, I'm just tired, I'm tired, man, I'm just tired, then I shouldn't be shocked when I'm tired because I've talked myself into being tired, right? You can have what you say. Now, again, some ramps of Christianity have turned that into legalism, and we can always do that. You know, you can always take truth and push it too far. You can push it into a legalistic work. Right? So I'm not talking about pushing things into a legalistic work because Jesus said, and, and man, I even got there yet. Keep, keep a finger over in Samuel. Go to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And here Jesus again is talking verse 22. Well, let's back up to verse 20 because it's important in the story. It says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree that had dried up from the roots. Y'all remember that story? Jesus is walking on the road that day. He sees a fig tree. He goes, ooh, I like figs. Uh, 20 in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, baby. And so he, Jesus sees the fig tree. He goes, man, I like figs. I'm hungry. He goes to look at the tree. The tree apparently, uh, it was so funny. I, I call it, it was a lying fig tree. It was giving evidence that it should have had fruit. And when he walked up to it, it was lying. It didn't have any fruit, right? And so Jesus stands back and says, well, no man eat fruit from you from this day forward forever. And he curses it and walks on down the road. Right? Huh? Why? Because he could. <laughs> well, he could have, but he looked at this. There's a lot of symbology in there in the sense of, um, again, the fig tree always represented Israel. It says it wasn't the time for figs. So the fig tree was out of time in the sense of it was out of its timing, its season. And it was saying something about itself that wasn't true. And so a lot of the symbolism of what Jesus was doing was to strike the Hebrew people and let them understand this is you. Right? You're, you're kind of out of time and you're putting off airs. Uh, you know, the, 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 the disciples are like you and I. 
there was a, there was not a lot they got, right? I mean, they, you know, you know, the disciples are like. Uh, yeah, the disciples, I'm like, you know, hey, that's great company. And we can learn a lot from them. We should need, be humble and smart enough to go, hey, Jesus, can you explain that to me? Yeah. Hey, tell me about that. I don't get that. Tell me what's going on. And that's a totally okay thing. And God loves it. Right. It actually, it'll give you more grace in your life instead of going, no, I got that. Yeah. Right. I know all about that. That's those dangerous words for us to say. Yeah, I've heard that verse before. Yeah, I know all about that. I don't got to hear another message on that again, right? That's when we know, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of being a little arrogant, right? But I'd be humble enough to say, Lord, tell me one more time, right? Tell me one more time. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute too with David because that's what David said. But in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, he says he feeds it. And Peter remembering, he said, teacher, look, <laughs> the fig tree that you cursed has withered away. And Jesus looked and said, yeah, of course. That's basically what he's, he says, man, have faith in God. And I love what um, uh, I think it's the Schofield Bible says. It says it like this, and it's more accurate to the language that the Bible was written in. It doesn't just say have faith in God. It says have God's kind of faith. Have the faith of God. Act like you did. So he basically, he, he was looking at Peter and says, well, of course it did because I spoke to it like God spoke to the creation. It must obey me. I have the faith of God. Right? I have the God kind of faith. He says, For assuredly, I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt, but believes in his heart that the things that he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Now, again, here and in, in where error happened, uh, and again, I'll just, y'all know me, I don't normally pull punches, but where error happened in the Word of Faith movement is even it came, I love Brother Hagin, and it says, if anybody's listening, please don't blackball me or not love me no more. But I was there when Brother Hagin would say things like, well, see, in those verses, there's three times as much saying as there is believing, Right? And what Brother Hagin was endeavoring to do was to encourage us to use our mouth yeah, now to engage. Now, what happened was, is people said, oh, I just got to say it a bunch of times. It doesn't matter if I believe it. Name it right. It's the, that's the na- name it and claim it, the blab it and grab it, all that kind of stuff. Now, please, I am a name it and claim it preacher. I am a blab it and grab it preacher. I am a confess it and possess it preacher. <laughs> But the key to all of that is, is you got to believe. If you don't believe, it's not abracadabra. We're not talking about Pentecostal witchcraft. Where I can say hocus pocus, abracadabra, and if I sing it long enough, loud enough, with enough zeal and enough oomph and enough this and enough that, then it'll magically happen. No, Jesus says if you believe in your heart, Right. Then he later, if you connect it to what he says, and, and if you understand that what you actually believe in your heart actually comes out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. Because out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? So I tell people all the time, your mouth, it is a tool, but it's also a gauge. Like a gas gauge on your car. Your mouth will tell you what's in the tank. It's also a gateway. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a gateway, but it's a tool. 
but it's a gauge. So many times, yes, we need to do two things with our mouth. We need to bring it under subjection, as James said. But we also need to listen to what comes out of our mouth. And I call it like this. My mama used to call it like this. She said, oh, your gospel toothpaste tube got squoze. You ever heard that phrase before? You know, have you ever squoze a tube of toothpaste? Now let's, let's do some stuff. Where, where do you squeeze a good, good poll here? Let's add some humor in the day. Who's a squeeze it from the bottom person? Who's a squeeze it from the, raise your hand, you're a squeeze it. Who, who, who you're like me, you grab it right in the middle and you squeeze it from the middle. Who does that? Who's aggra- who, what bottom squeezers are aggravated by the middle squeezers? Right? I know I live with one, and she's constantly like, why do you squeeze it in the middle of the tube? Squeeze it from the bottom. And so, um, but here's the thing. When you squeeze the tube, what do you expect to happen? What do you expect to come out? If something other than toothpaste came out, what would happen? You wouldn't put it, well, you would look and go, something is afoot at the Circle K, right? I mean, (laughs) does that make sense? Uh, We we had friends, as an example, we had friends who were from Norway, and one of the Norwegian Norwegian dishes that I truly love is they have smoked cod, codfish eggs, smoked caviar, but it comes, it looks like a toothpaste tube. And you squeeze it out and you put it on toast and it's delicious. If you like smoked salmon, you'll love this. If you don't, you won't. So it's, it's, it is truly a do or die scenario. You either love it or you hate it. It's, there's no middle road with Norwegian. But if you squoze your toothpaste tube in the bathroom and you got Norwegian caviar, yeah. what would you say? Yeah. So, so you have to realize that <laughs> when, yeah, where's your crackers? Yeah. Uh, so when, when life squeezes you, the first thing to come out of your mouth is what's actually in the tube. It is, isn't it, Miss Teresa? Yeah. But when life squeezes, and that's what I tell people, when, if you want to know what's in your heart, when life squeezes you and puts the squeeze on you, the first thing that comes up out the tube you need to listen to because that's what's exiting your heart and that's what's creating your world. And so now please, if you're like me, and that happens to me often, and my tube gets squoze, and I'm like, ooh, that was, that was caviar, that was not toothpaste, <laughs> right? That was not good, pleasant, or, or kind, or it wasn't lovely, it wasn't of a good report, it wasn't praiseworthy, that was this ugly, nasty stuff coming up out of my heart, then don't be discouraged, you can change what's in the tube, You need to actually pay attention and go, oh, is that what I want to believe? Is that what I want to govern my life? Then we can come to the pages of scripture and say, Lord, replace what's in the tube. That's what we were talking about on Thursday night through imagination, through reading the word, right? Through meditating on the word, through seeing ourselves in the word. Through saying, okay, God, this word is in here already. I'm going to renew the attitude of my mind. I'm going to get what's not the gospel out of my tube. So that when my tube gets squoze, it's you are what comes out. Does that make sense? 
And that's why Jesus said he could look at stuff and he could sit there. And, and again, for whatever reason, he chose to curse the fig tree. Right. He would just curse the fig tree and said, you will not, you will die. Again, here, maybe do a more pleasant analogy for everybody here. Since everybody's like, that poor fig tree. What that, what that poor fig tree. Right. Is we had a lady, remember uh, Janet Estes worked with us at Ramah. And Miss Janet got a revelation of this verse because Miss Janet hated varmints. She, she hated mice, rats, any critter that wasn't supposed to be there, stray animals that would try to come and get into her trash. And yeah, she is. She, but Miss Janet, you're going to love this. Miss Janet took this. She goes, well, if Jesus can curse a fig tree, I can curse mice. So if she saw a mouse, she would go, I curse you in the name of Jesus and you die. And it, and, it, and it would die. She would find it a day or two later dead somewhere else. She had neighbors who had uh, uncontrolled animals that would get into her yard. And she would give them a chance and try. But if they didn't, if the neighbor nor the critter controlled itself, she would go, I curse you in Jesus' name. And, and it was amazing how all of those critters didn't last too much long after Miss Janet and stuff. <laughs> but it's because she believed literally that life and death. Because they life and death. Life and death. Life and death. Life and death. So you understand that when we say you can bless things and they become blessed or you can curse things and they become cursed, it's because you were created in the image of your father who literally gives you the power of life and death in your tongue. So if there's something going on in your life that needs to die, tell it to die. Yes, ma'am. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, Miss Mary, me use this use it as an example all the time. Um, you can do that literally, like if if they hear you. But you understand, you can kill your relationship even if you're being a nice, good Southern lady. And it's never said in their presence. I, I've seen, I've, I have seen women, and I'm not picking on you ladies. I'm just using it because I've seen. You're still. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen ladies kill their marriage because they were respectful and honoring when he was present. But when he was not present... He was a dog. He was no good. He was this. He was that. And they thought, well, the Bible says I need to honor my husband. And they think, oh, well, that's I'm honoring him while he's there. Right? And, and we've learned a long time ago, and I appreciate my wife for this. I know that my name is safe in my, mouth, in my wife's mouth. Right? I've seen her physically... <laughs> Um, not physically, physically, but I've seen her verbally, physically present with people who would say things contrary to me 
and the earrings come out, right? I mean, and she, <laughs> and, and she is there, but I also know she does that when I'm not there. Amen. Right. I hope she knows that her name is safe in my mouth. Right. Do you understand? But, but it's, you understand life. So, and I agree with you many times, Mary, we can kill our relationships. Many times we think about that only in the aspect of, well, if they heard me, I'm sure glad they didn't hear me. It doesn't matter. You said it about that relationship and life and death are in the power of the tongue. They don't have to be present. But, the, but now it's the negative, but the positive is just as true. Right? And that's why, does this, this make sense this morning? I, and let's go see if we can land, because I want to teach you how to be a giant hunter, right? And, and not just a giant killer. Hunters kill things, we know that, but how, how do you get on the hunt for the giants? If, if y'all knew, and I appreciate everyone's prayers and stuff, you know, we um, had the memorial service for Pastor Alan Duke yesterday from the Irondale campus. Uh, and it was just a great tribute, even though, as always, those things are. It's, it's that bittersweet thing where we're really rejoicing for him because he's where we all want to be. But we're all really sad because he's not here no more and he left a really big hole, mm-hmm. right, in our hearts and our stuff. And so, uh, but I was listening, and if you follow us on the group me, I put uh, in the group me, the last time he spoke here at our campus was back in May. And so I felt nudged yesterday during the memorial to repost that in our group me. And then again, I'll never encourage you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. <laughs> so as soon as I got done with the memorial service, Savannah was with me, I, I plugged it into the speaker in the truck and, and we started listening on the way home. And I had forgotten that last year uh, at the New Year's Eve service that they have at Irondale, uh, Pastor Allen actually prophesied and said that this year would be the year we kill our giants. I had forgotten that completely when we started talking about this. And that really kind of struck home with me going, oh, wow, holy moly. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that this is, so this is, a, it just helped solidify the importance of what we're doing and why we're doing that way. Right? But understand, but this is our time. Right? This is our time and, and our giants will come. And it's time for us to kill our giants. And as we've said, uh, those are the real visible giants, right? Physical illness, maybe material lack, maybe senses of purposelessness or insignificance, things that are there, those giants. But as we said a few weeks ago, but also the giants that we've made allies out of, Mm -hmm. the giants we've made our friends, right? Because it was easier to get on the side of the bully than to punch the bully in the nose, right? And so those giants too, remember we prayed that a few weeks ago, Lord, show me the giants I've made friends with, right? Show me the giants that I've made my ally because they need to die too, right? So it's an attitude of of being a giant hunter. And what I mean by that, and it goes along with what we're saying here, um, is be on the lookout for the giants of your world, But what do giant hunters look like? Giant hunters talk a lot. All right. Giant giant hunters, in a good sense, are mouthy. Right. But they don't just talk smack. 
Right. Let, let's look at this. And we'll land the plane with this. And we'll see if there's any more beyond that. Uh, back in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And there's just a couple of thoughts. And, and, and for time's sake, I'm not going to read through it. I encourage you to, to read through the whole story. Uh, interesting that I'd never seen before jumped out to me in verse 20. It said, so David rose up early in the morning and, and he was taking the food that his daddy told him to take to his brothers. And it says, but before he left, it says he left the sheep in the hands of the keeper. Then later when he took the supplies in verse 22, it says, and he left the supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. And I, well, you, know what took, you know what the attitude of a good giant hunter is, is they make sure they're taking care of their responsibilities. Right, because sometimes, you know, it can be, I, I'll pick on Pastor Kevin, you know, because I always say he's epic, right? He's, he likes these epic movies and these epic things. And sometimes if we're not, and that's good, I like epic things too. But we, and we men are probably more guilty about this than others. We can get on this epic quest. We're going to go out and do whatever, conquer the giant and do the stuff. And we forget to leave the sheep with somebody. <laughs> and we just drop the stuff off by the side of the road and it gets eaten by crows. Right. <laughs> right. And so you have to remember, if you want to be a good giant hunter, when it's time to go hunt down the giant, you still got to make sure your responsibilities are taken care of. The giant, the seemingly mundane things still get done. Right. Because even though it's awesome to be epic, <laughs> it, it's better to just be normal. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we, in the spiritual realm, you know, yes, I am the giant killer. Right? I'm Mr. Super Spiritual. Dun, dun, dun. But I'm not very normal. I'm not very real. I'm not very relatable. Right? Some of the most spiritual people, I love this. Pastor Allen said it when he was, if you listen to the message when he was with us last, he said, some of the most spiritual people, and I agree with him, that I have ever known. Are some of the most normal people in the world. Yeah. They're not the big dun dun dun. Right? They're just folks who get up and they take care of the dailies. And they make sure things are done. And they make sure things are handled well. They make sure things are completed thoroughly and diligently. And then when Goliath show up, they just chop their head off. <laughs> Does that make sense? And, 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 and again, to get ready to be a giant hunter, if, if, if I am unfaithful with the little stuff, then I can't handle a giant. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? Yeah. Come on, are you with me? Yes. If I can't handle the little stuff, if I can't handle the small stuff, then I am not going to be able to handle the big stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it'll, it don't be shocked if the giants don't show up because God knows, oh, he would just wipe the floor with you. Because you haven't been faithful in the little. Remember Jesus said that. If you're faithful in the little, I can now give you charge over much. But until you're faithful in the small, you can't do big. I, I, I love it. I always had the meme. He goes, Alicia, here's a meme for you, right? That you can put on the, our post that was there. I, I saw it and I laughed. If you're like me, I, I'm Facebooking on the, on the toilet. Anybody else Facebook on the toilet? Or am I just by? So I'm there on the toilet in my throne room do, doing, doing, doing my thing. And I laugh because the meme is a meme of an empty toilet paper roll, right? So there it is. You know, the little cardboard tube, it's on the little thingy 
and, and, the, and, the, and the meme is there and you see this empty toilet paper roll in this little meme and the caption of the meme says, if you're not willing to change this, then you'll never change the world. <laughs> right? If you're, un, if you're unwilling to change the toilet paper roll, you're not going to be changing the world. Young people, I know it's super cool and you guys get told all the time and it's not wrong. You're going to be a world changer. Right, I hear people say, oh, that's my little world changer running around there, little Buford, little Buford, right? My little snot-nosed brat running around over there is a little world changer, right? If little Buford won't change the toilet paper roll, then he ain't going to change the world. If little Buford ain't willing to take out the trash, he, he ain't going to change the world, right? There, there's a great book we were just reading as a family. It was called Make Your Bed. It was written by... A, a retired admiral from the U.S. Navy who was in charge of keeping um, Saddam Hussein when he was arrested. So he was the guy in charge of our special forces and stuff. A great book it's called Make Your Bed, right? Um, and so in the book, he, he talks about, he says, he noticed an interesting thing that Saddam Hussein never made his bed. He says, now I'm not trying to stretch it or not, but I'm probably wondering that if people who don't make their bed, they're just terrorists. <laughs> but he says, but the, but the reason why the military, and again, and we're talking about, so this was the admiral who directed like SEAL Team 6, all of our special forces, the guys who went and took out bin Laden. He was the guy in charge of those guys. He's, and he says in the book, you know why we make our most elite people make their bed? Because it's what makes them the most elite people in the world. He says, because you start the day having accomplished something. And when you start the day having accomplished something, even something small as making your bed, it sets you up to take out Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. He says, the men who don't make their bed, they don't get to take down the terrorists. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. So it is in that stuff. Does that make sense? So parents, that's all free right there. But I just did jump that out there. But let's notice it says here. So it says in verse 23, then as he talked with them, talking about David, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, who came up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words he had been speaking for 40 days. And we said that a few weeks ago. It says, so David heard them, talking about David heard the words of Goliath. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? And I want an interesting point here, and again, for times like you go, this is the only time in the scripture that any other heed is paid to the words of Goliath. Because listen to me, only hear your giant's threat once. Don't give it a second thought from there. If you want to be a giant hunter, don't listen to the words of your giant. You may hear them the first time, you may hear them once. But don't give them another thought. Then it goes on to say, the men said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And I love it. Now these are the other men, David's listening. And it shall be 
that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter, hopefully the good-looking one, and give his father's house, that was a joke, uh, exemption from taxes in Israel, right? So David hears what will happen. So then David spoke, notice verse 26, so then David spoke to the men who stood by him and said, what's going to be done with the man who kills this giant? Notice David didn't say, what did the giant say? Because do you understand it's okay for you to focus on the reward that comes from killing your giant? It's okay for you to focus on the reward that comes from killing your giant. Let me say one more It's okay for you to focus on the reward that comes from killing your giant. And for time's sake, again, if you read the story, because David asks three separate groups of people the same question. What did the king say? What did, tell me one more time. What did the king say would happen? Guys, listen to me. It's okay for you to say, God, what, what did you say would happen to me because I'm righteous? Amen. What did you say was mine? Amen. Because I'm right with you. The righteous man is prosperous. What did you say? The righteous man is like a tree planted by the rivers of living. What did you, tell me one more time, mm-hmm. Father, tell me one more time, what is mine when I take out my giant? It's okay for you to focus on the reward, on the life that is on the other side of killing your giant. Mm-hmm. Amen? Yeah, and then it goes on. And he talks about that. Then in verse 29, and I, and I want you, and, and again, you have to stop about, because David had a, had a brother. He may have got a brother, mm-hmm. right? David had a brother who was angry and upset and a little jealous or something. Anybody got one of those brothers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody out there got one of those brothers, mm-hmm. right? And so Eliab, or Eliab, or he say David's brother was aroused and talks back to David. You're just down here, to, you're just prideful and you're just... You have to understand, when you start really having a desire to kill giants, you're going to stir up some folk. (laughs) And probably they got your last name. (laughs) I'm going to say that one more time. You're going to stir up some folks, and most likely the people you stir up, they're going to have your last name. Well, that's just not how we do it. We just don't do it around here like that. Don't you remember how mama and daddy raised me? I love what Pastor Dusty used to say. You know, sometimes we have to get above and rise above our folk teaching, the stuff our folks taught us. Because sometimes the stuff our folks taught us is not scriptural, right? right? But whenever you try to rise above your folk teaching, it's going to make your folks mad. Well, it's not how I raised you. You think you're better than us? Come on now. I've heard all of these, right? I've heard all of these, right? And you got to be willing to make some folk mad. And then it says in verse 29, and then so David, again, he's a giant hunter. So he starts talking. So the first group of people he talks to is David doesn't talk to Goliath first. He talks to his brother first and says, what have I done now? (laughs) I love that. Just just, shut up, right? Just shut up. He says, is there not a cause? Now, it's a twofold. I didn't realize this while I was studying. It's an interesting, this is there not a cause is is a double meaning, He says, is there not a cause? This dude is defying Israel. But when you look at the word cause, he says, hey, listen, I'm here doing what my daddy told me to do. What are you doing? 
you're supposed to be a soldier. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be fighting giants. I'm doing my job. Mm-hmm. How about you? You doing your job? Is there not a cause? Is there not a job to be? You know, it's okay to talk some smack to people when it's in faith. Right? Right? It's okay. It's okay. Look, you go, listen, I'm doing my part. What are you doing? Bag of lazy bones? Get off off your duff and let's go. Put up or shut up, boy. Listen, you can join me and fight with me or you can shut up and sit down. Come on now. Can I just get a little bit? It's time we drop some southern politeness. Oh, I want you to be rude and mean, Kurt. I want you to be. No, I know what you mean. I, I know. But uh, <laughs> Kurt, uh, Kurt keeps it. No, I, you don't have to be rude or mean, but I do want you to be bold and courageous. Right. Yeah. I started thinking the South that being direct mm-hmm. and truthful is being mean and rude. That's right. And it's not. And it's very different. That's right. Sometimes you have to look at people and say, no. And no forcefully. And sometimes I have to look at people and go, what is your problem? And some have to look at people and go, you're just lazy. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at some folks and go, stop it. And some people, you've got to go, shut up. Because what's coming out your mouth is death. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, again, I what you mean. You guys realize Jesus' life? Jesus, Jesus busts up. No, he's not busts up. He's invited to Jairus' house. Right? Little girl is dead. So people are crying, they're slinging snot, they're all upset, little girl's dead. Jesus walks into the room and goes, I need everybody to get out of here. <laughs> I need, I need, I need, I, I, Peter, James, and John, y'all can stay, everybody else out. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily polite. That was, and, and why? Because there ain't no faith in this room. Yeah. For what we need to do here, there ain't no faith in this room, get out. Yeah. You need to get out of this room. Because right now you're, shoved, you're burying her and I'm trying to raise her from the dead. Mm-hmm. So, so I need you out of the way mm-hmm. if you want to see her live. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've known people, I, I love godly, I've known godly women who've done that. People come in and husband, father, he's there, he's fighting for his life. And I've seen women at the door and they're like bouncers, <laughs> right? And they're like faith bouncers. People come in, oh no, you can't visit him. Why? Because you're full of doubt. I'll tell him you showed up. Now go back to your car. Because we're only, we only letting faith in this room. We're only letting life in this room. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, come on now. Are y'all with me? If you want to kill some giants, you got to be willing to talk some smack. And the violent take it by force. Absolutely. The kingdom of God suffers violence. Because violent, righteous people take things from the devil. I mean, I, I just, I, y'all know me. I know y'all love me. I, I just want to get a good swear fest on right now, but I'm, I'm, grace is helping me, you know. But, but righteous folks know, know how to slap people in the spirit, right? They just do. They know how to just go, you be quiet. <laughs> Come on, I don't, I, I'm telling you for real, you got to get some moxie on you. There was times where, again, that day in the temple, Jesus, you know, he walks in, money changers going on, and he's looking around, and Jesus goes, okay. It says he takes rope, and he sits down, 
and he begins to make, he didn't buy a whip. He didn't pull a whip from his back pocket, right? He didn't go to the whip merchant down the street. He, he had found some rope. He sat down and he began to form the whip. And I believe Brad's imagination and he looked around and I'm going to start over there and I'm going to work my way that way. <laughs> and I'm going to push everybody towards the door. And then Jesus gets done and he picks up the whip and he, he goes to town. You know, sometimes, do you understand? Guys, listen, and yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I would feel like some people would say, well, how do you know uh, what I'm thinking? Or you're just judging me. How, yeah. So you're going to come up against some of that? Yeah, you're going to come up against a lot of that. Yeah. Here's the thing, guys, and here's the thing we don't talk about. Do you understand that things of the Spirit are visible? Okay. Right? Again, and, and I may have to land the plane. Things of the Spirit are visible. Peter that day, remember the, the Hellenist widows were not getting served food. And Hellenist means they were kind of half Jew, half Greek, right? And, and there was some, some dissension going on in the church at Jerusalem because one group wasn't getting the treatment they needed and deserved over another group. And they were complaining. And Peter stands up and says, hey, listen, I ain't got time to fool with none of this. We need to stick to the word of God in prayer. So this is what you do. You find from among yourselves, he says, you go out and look at the church body and visibly look. And you're looking for seven men that have three qualities. Number one, they have a good testimony. Number two, they're full of wisdom. How many of you know good testimony, full of wisdom, which is visible traits? Yeah. Would, would you, then he says this, and they're full of the Holy Ghost. So in the same sentence, Peter says, just like you can see good testimony, just like you can see, right, wisdom, you can see full of the Holy Ghost. It's visibly discernible with your eyeballs. That person right there, he's full of the Holy Ghost. Right. Peter, or it was Paul, Paul in the book of Acts, right? It says one day Paul was preaching. And I forgot where he was, but he was preaching and he looked down at a man who I believe was like paralyzed or lame or something was wrong with him. And he looked down at the man and the verse says this, and Paul perceiving with his eyes that he had faith. Did you know faith is visible? Well, no, in this case, bro, what I'm saying on this guy is, you know what, you, you'll know, you'll see, but, but, but the things of God, I, I need you to understand, the things of God are perceptible. They're discernible. Jesus said it like this, you know a tree by what? Fruit. Is fruit observable? Yes. yes. And if it's good fruit, what do you know? Okay, it's not, not trick questions, right? I mean, if, it's, if it's bad fruit, what do you know? And Jesus said, judge that way in life. Look at people and see and observe the fruit that is born in their life. Now, come on now. I know that can be like, that's a double-edged sword, just like the Bible is, right? You know, and again, whatever it applies to me, I've, I've learned to look straight ahead, say amen. And then later I'm going to go home, fall across the bed and go, oh, me. Right, and say, Lord, help me, teach me, train me, instruct me. It's good to see that in people because 
That's right. Because you affect others and they're not. They stood up. They stood up. Even though it was contrary. That's right. I wish I had seen more of that growing up. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think there's a practical stuff because, again, in, in life, some of the stuff, if, um, how do I say this? I mean, in your life, I mean, there, when you're facing your giant, right, when you're facing the thing, and again, remember, some of those giants, again, are, they're, they're like Goliath. They're anything that's challenging covenant. Anything that challenges the covenant promises of God is a giant like Goliath. That's why, again, David never called Goliath a giant. He never, he never acknowledged his sides. He said, that man has no covenant. That's the only thing he acknowledged. You have no covenant with God. You have no relationship with God. You have no promise. I do not address with respect or awe our impressiveness, anything that's contrary to promise. The, can I, can I, again, I, is this everybody doing all right? I know I'm, so it's kind of like this as an example and a little bit of a practical example. That's why people go, and again, I'm, I'm going to be humorous, I hope. I hope I'm not too offensive. Love me anyway. So everybody say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow this from Pastor Allen. Everybody say, I'm Brad, or this is Brad and he's my friend. Is Brad and he's my friend, but it's like this, you know, people come up and young people, uh, young people want to go, Oh, well, you want to celebrate? I, I got a boyfriend. I got a girlfriend and they put it on Facebook and Oh, don't you want to celebrate? And they're looking, Brad, aren't you so excited for me? And I said, mm, not yet. Yeah. And they look at me and well, why aren't you excited? I said, cause you haven't given me a promise yet from scripture. I can only celebrate promise. Bring me a promise and I'll celebrate with you. Until then, I would give you a warning of caution to guard your heart. Does that make sense? Because how many of you have seen, you know, the little Twitter pated young people? And this is Mr. Amazing, and this is Miss Wonderful, and they're awesome, and everybody, and I watch it on Facebook, and I try to be calm, you know, and they go, oh, we're so glad for you. Oh, this is so exciting. Oh, you're such, and I'm like, we have nothing to celebrate. More than likely, they're going to break up and we're all going to have to eat crow because now we're going to have to say he's no longer Mr. Wonderful or Miss Amazing, depending on which side of the aisle the offended person falls on. Instead, if we just looked at people and said, hey, listen, hey, you're going through the process of our culture. This is how we find mates. Okay, sure. Go out there. Go a-looking. But don't come here without a promise and expect celebration. Once you have something to say, you can say. Does that make sense? And that's, again, David David said, no, you have no promise. I do not acknowledge things that are devoid of promise. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. I'm going to land the plane right there. Amen, just for time's sake. There's, there's more to talk about. But to be a giant killer, look through this, and we'll talk about it next week, I believe. We, we have to be willing to speak. You're going to read through the rest of this chapter with me, and you're going to see the number of times how David spoke. And to realize that Goliath, 
Goliath physically died when David chopped his head off. But Goliath was a dead man walking because David had been talking for quite a while before he killed him. You understand, David, David set up what would happen and just the act at the end that finally was the death stroke was, Goliath was dead before then. Goliath was dead back over when David said, when he started talking. The moment David said, tell me what the promise will produce. Somebody tell me, what, the, what will God's promise produce in my life? Tell me what the promise will produce. And he began to feed his heart about what the promise would produce. And he believed it. And you're going to watch through what else he believed and how he mixed faith with his belief. But, but listen, your, your giant doesn't die until you start talking. But the moment you open your mouth, your giant is a dead man walking. <laughs> Does that make sense? Amen. So, Lord, we love you so much. So grateful for your word. Lord, help it become more and more real to our hearts and our lives in Jesus' name. And, Lord, again, we continually say if there is a giant we have befriended because it was more convenient and easy to make something that's contrary to your promise my ally, then, Lord, show us what that is. In Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. Amen. Amen.